For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. You can watch this episode on YouTube, or you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Threads to receive notifications about biblical content each week. I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson. I'm with Pastor Jesse Randolph, and today we're with our friend, Tom Jordison. Thanks for being here, Tom. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, Tom is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a Bible teacher here at the church. Uh, He is deacon of the communion ministry here at the church. He is married to his wife, Andrea, father of three. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, Tom, we're excited to hear what you have to say about communion in the Bible. Yeah, very, very excited to talk about this subject. Awesome. I'm just going to roll into the first question, if that's all right. Sure. All right. So the first question for you is, why is there so much disagreement about communion among evangelicals today? You know, we think about evangelicalism today in the 21st century, and we think, okay, wow, there's there's so much difference of opinion about different doctrines, and and, and there is. But if you want to rewind evangelicalism all the way back to the Protestant Reformation, doctrine or Christianity, Protestant Christianity specifically at the time, wasn't a monolith. It, it wasn't this single entity. You had with with Luther and, and Calvin and, and Zwingli and all these others, you had different people working on uh, doctrine in a lot of ways for the first time, mm-hmm. if you want to say it that way. And they were trying to learn the scriptures, understand what the scriptures talked about. And uh, here's a great example too, baptism. They were trying to say, what does the scriptures teach about baptism? What does the scriptures teach about communion? What are these different truths and what does the scripture have to say? Now, all of this too comes against the backdrop of Roman Catholicism. And this is, I think, a pretty necessary thing to talk through when we start to talk about Protestant views on communion. And that's this, quite frankly, damnable heresy that came out of Roman Catholicism with respect to salvation, with respect to the Lord's table, with respect to all of these things, because the Catholic Church was not and is not teaching the truth about how a person can have forgiveness, how a person can have all of their sins forgiven. And it bears more similarities to Old Testament atonement. So the Old Testament lays out atonement, and it's it's a covering of sin. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a, a making perfect, as Hebrews talks about. It's not a propitiation, a complete satisfaction of the wrath of God. And the way the Catholic Church would teach salvation is you get baptized, you get confirmed, you have this entrance into the Catholic faith, you have this entrance into fellowship with God, but it has to be kept up. It has to be kept fresh with weekly, with the Mass, with the offering of, of the Eucharist. And mm-hmm. it's this perpetual offering of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that's that's not at all the case. You know, Hebrews clearly lays out that he offered himself one time for the forgiveness of sins. He made one sacrifice. And where there is such a sacrifice, there is no more offering. Mm-hmm. That's the backdrop against which Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, they started coming out of 
that background saying, okay, what does the Lord's table actually look like? You have this Catholic view of transubstantiation where the bread and the cup actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, Luther then reacts to that and says, no, but it's not actually the body and the blood, but instead Christ is there. Mm-hmm. Christ is, is, is absolutely there. And somehow that bread and that cup are still a means of grace, mm-hmm. right? Calvin then said, I, I don't know that he's really there that much, but spiritually he's present. And there's still some sort of effect. There's still some sort of effect for the person who takes the bread and the cup. Well, then Zwingli at the same time or around the same time said, no, I don't think that's quite it. Uh, It looks to be, Zwingli would say from the scriptures, that this is just a memorial ordinance, something we're doing in memory of the Lord, just like he said. And so our church, uh, personally as well, would take the memorial view mm-hmm. that that this bread and this cup, it's just a, a symbol. That's not to say that there aren't spiritual realities, because there's spiritual realities aplenty mm-hmm. in the Lord's table, but it's it's just a memorial. Uh, that's super helpful, comprehensive. You've covered the Reformation. You've covered uh, damnable Catholic heresy. You've covered Luther, Calvin, Zwingli. All, all in a couple minutes. All in a couple yeah. minutes. It's very impressive. Yeah, As we get a little deeper into the conversation, you, sure. ju- you just mentioned Zwingli, and his appeal was to Scripture. I mean, everybody on that camp would say they're appealing in some sense to Scripture, but he would say it's 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 a memorial. Now, mm-hmm. can you just give us the reference, Tom, or, or paraphrase or quote, however you choose to do it, when we look at what the Bible says, mm-hmm. why, why do we as a church, why do we in our camp say this is that the memorial view, that the Zwingli view is the correct view? Sure. So Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 11 recounts what the Lord instructed him to say. Uh, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. Uh, and not to... Uh, underplay it, but it, it's really as simple as that. The, yep. the actual, the actual act, right? You know, rather than saying, "Well, we're going to pray, and then we're all going to have this you know, spiritual moment, and then all of a sudden something happened, and now it's now it's a means of grace." Right. You know, if I can backtrack a little bit too, that's where it gets super dangerous, right? So, in what manner can a person be identified with Christ and not with their sin? What? How does that happen? Through faith. Yeah. Ephesians 2, where you've been saved by grace through faith mm-hmm. and that not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And that's that's it and that's all, right? So th- there are no other means of grace, mm-hmm. either for salvation or for sanctification. That's it. When you start messing with that, you're instantly off the tracks mm-hmm. into heresy. And that's a big component on the anti side yeah. of how we look at memorial, the memorial view and why we... Uh, approach communion with the memorial view. Amen. Yeah. The transubstantiation view has always been confusing to me too, because if you take it that way, that the the bread and the cup become his literal body and blood, what would the disciples have thought? He hadn't been crucified at that time. I mean, when he said it in, first in Luke, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper is there and he said, take this and, and do this in remembrance of me. He hadn't died yet. It could, it, I don't think they thought it was his literal body and, and his literal blood. Right. 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 So, right. 
And you get into all those situations where, like John, he says the I am statements. Mm. I am the door. Well, not a door. You know, this is this this bread and this wine, not actually me. Or even the other ordinance you mentioned, baptism, is representative of a deeper spiritual truth. Mm -hmm. We would say the same thing with communion, that the event happened, it took place, that of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we're memorializing it. Mm -hmm. It's representative of something that's already taken place. Yeah. Yeah. And something you alluded to earlier or said, that uh, it is a symbol, but that doesn't downplay the seriousness of it. As a matter of fact, we have a warning in the passage you gave in 1 Corinthians about how to take communion. And and so there is a warning there. What is that warning? Why should believers be warned before they take communion? Sure. So he goes on in verse 27, he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a, quite frankly, that's a, a stark warning. And then he'll go on in verse 30 and says, for this reason, uh, the reason of, of not judging the body rightly, for this reason, Many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So a number of people in the Corinthian church, uh, and and also by extension, the church for the last 2,000 years, those who have not taken the Lord's Supper rightly, those who have done it in an unworthy manner, who have uh, not understood the seriousness of it, or they've not been repentant, or they've not been humbling themselves before the Lord in their taking of the Supper they do so unworthily, and and there are life and death consequences to not taking communion seriously. Mm-hmm. It makes people sick, kills people. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really frightening thing to think about. Here we have this ordinance that we are to do, and we're to do it in such a manner that we obviously honor the Lord and do it rightly, but the consequences can be fatal. And do you remember what was the context of those Corinthians? Why were they taking it in an unworthy manner? What was so unworthy? Well, there's there's a couple. Well, there's a, there's a there's a lot of things going on with the Corinthian church. <laughs> it's uh, just there's a lot of things going on today. But the the Corinthians, with the actual service themselves, uh, he says in verse twenty, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, another is drunk. What? He said, what? Uh, do, you, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? So they, they were treating it you know, like a buffet. They were, tre- mm-hmm. they were treating it. Like a party. Yeah, like a party. Uh, not with seriousness and reverence and, and, and somberness and sobriety. They were treating it very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. But then there was also this, this larger issue in the Corinthian church that the Gnostic teaching of, hey, look, I'm saved on the inside, so it doesn't matter what I do on the outside. Right? I'm, I'm saved on the inside, so I can join myself to a prostitute, no problem. Or I can go and knowingly uh, and without regard eat food sacrificed to idols. And so there's this, this larger issue of, you know, a Corinthian saying, I don't really think what I do in life matters. You know, I'm, I'm saved, so what, what does it matter? And Paul clearly says, no, it matters. It absolutely matters how you live your life. And it absolutely matters the 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 spirit in which you come to the table and if, and if you come to the table and you you disregard it and say this is, this is nothing i need to worry about i'll just take the take the bread take the cup i'll move on with my life paul says no you're doing that in an unworthy manner and you become guilty of the body and the blood of the lord mm-hmm. or if you if you come to the table and say you know what i have unrepentant sin or you know what i know i'm not saved but i'm just going to take this anyway and keep on pretending no, you're, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And because of that, 
people get sick, people get weak, people die. Mm -hmm. It goes into it. He says in verse 28 of chapter 11, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You you sit back and you say, okay, um, why did the son of God come? Why did he take on flesh? And why why did he bear all the wrath of God for me? Mm -hmm. Right? These are the things that need to be going through our minds as we're taking communion. So much of the scripture talks about on a daily basis, on a a moment-by-moment basis, we live for the Lord and we think about the Lord. And then that communion service, that that ordinance, the the performing of the of the Lord's table, is just a monumental capstone to that to living that life. That's again a very helpful and thorough answer, Tom. And it already sort of anticipates another question I had for you. You might have already just answered that when you just mentioned reflecting on the death of Christ. The question I was going to ask you is: when you take communion as a believer in, in an assembly like ours, is it a passive enterprise or is it an active enterprise? And if it's active, mm-hmm. what activity does it involve for, for the believer there holding those elements in their hands? Uh, sure. Um, it is, yeah, I'm going to do a classic answer, both. All right. Both. <laughs> uh, it's, it's passive um, because we're not, we're not obtaining anything. Right. Like I said earlier, there is no means of grace. And it would be very thorough when I say that because the means of grace is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is putting all of your faith and all of your hope and all of your trust, not in anything you can do, but in the fact that he, it was he, as Romans four says, who's delivered over for transgressions and was raised up for our justification. There's no hope outside of that. Putting your hope in a a weekly ceremony. uh, Hey, here's this sacrifice for your sins. And then you come back next week. Here's a sacrifice for your sins. Here's a sacrifice for your sins. We don't partake of it actively in that sense. Yeah. Right. We, we, we say this is a memorial. And we are, we are doing this, but we're not achieving anything salvifically. We're not mm-hmm. achieving anything from a, uh, oh, I'm now, just because I ate this bread and drank this cup, I'm more sanctified than I was five minutes ago. Uh, nothing like that. The flip side of that, though, is there is, there is an active role the believer plays. And that's this examination, this judging of the body rightly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you come and you say, <clears throat> Yesterday, I called Aaron a, a, a dirtbag. You know, I had, I had malice in my heart toward him, right? Do I still have malice? Am I taking the bread and drinking the cup at the same time that I possess malice for him that I've not repented of? Yeah. You know, I, maybe I've showed partiality to Ethan, you know. That's the thing that a, a believer must do is they must examine themselves and say, look, I, I'm not in any fit state to be taking the bread and the cup. You know, as, as you'll say, when you administrate mm-hmm. and say, look, if, if you, if you have this unrepentance in, if you have not examined yourself, if you're not judging yourself rightly, let this pass in front of you. Yeah. I wonder when we, when we do communion, I, I think, well, I hope people take that seriously. Mm. And I, and I hope that if they have that unrepentance in, if, if they're not uh, dealing with that in their life with the Lord, that they just let the elements pass by. Because he'll go on and say that if you don't judge yourself correctly, that's when the judgment comes in. Yeah. So you're saying it's passive in the sense that you're there, part of the service, you're receiving the elements, Mm -hmm. but that's not accomplishing your salvation no more than the blood of bulls and goats can forgive sins. Right. But it's active in the sense that you're examining yourself, making sure that you're taking communion in a worthy manner, a God-honoring manner, and active 
in the remembrance mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ and yeah, him absolutely. crucified. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for drawing those two distinctions out. And I forgive you, by the way, for calling me <laughs> no, no, names no, 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 no. the other day that I didn't even know about it. But And who's Ethan? Oh, the, <laughs> not Ethan. Yeah, no, and very much we, we proclaim the Lord's death. I mean, you know, you look at Christianity and I think an unbeliever could look at this and say, man, this, this religion is kind of weird. You know, whenever they're meeting together, they're, they're remembering the fact that their savior died. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, his death and his burial and his resurrection is the cornerstone events of the faith. And when we're here with communion to proclaim his death, to actively mm-hmm. proclaim his death. And throw you an unscripted question. All right. How often should the church practice communion? Uh, personal opinion, and Jesse and I have talked about this. Uh, I would say weekly. I'm, I'm a weekly guy, but uh, the scripture says, uh, as often as you do this, do mm-hmm. this in, in remembrance of me. And that's where the wisdom of the board of our, uh, our board of elders and, and staff comes in to say, how often should we do this? Does the Bible prescribe uh, a frequency? No, no, but too often it can help people become too accustomed to it. And especially when the big emphasis is on examining yourself, judging yourself rightly. And if, if it becomes just a, a ritual, something you do all the time, you say, I examined myself last week. I'm probably still doing okay. Or on the flip side, if you do it every six months, you've long forgotten the way you fell short five months ago, the way right. you sinned or against a brother five months ago. Right. Right. Yeah. So kind of a challenging decision. It's mm-hmm. balance. Yeah. It's balance. One more question yeah. I have for you. Uh, how does communion deepen one's relationship with the Lord? Uh, very much so. On the one hand, it's just as one of our elders says, so at Indian Hills, we use uh, matzo crackers and we use grape juice. Right. So peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Good uh, to know. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, as, as one of our elders is fond of saying to me when we do communion, it's just juice and crackers, Tom. <laughs> it's just juice and crackers. But then the the reality is it's there there's way more going on than that on a on a spiritual level. Right. There's way more going on than that. Believers need to be thinking about the Lord uh, every day. Right. Is there ever a time when you shouldn't be? Right. right? Uh, I, I look at I look at communion over against the life of the believer and I say, you know, you, you, you pray, you read the scriptures or you interact with these other believers and the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is a very loud signal coming from the scriptures. Right. And comparatively though, communion is deafening. So when we come and, and we, we take the bread and we take the cup, I, I find it to be very impactful, uh, a, a much more heightened sense of how I live every day, what I think about every day, what I think about in terms of my relationship with other believers, relationship with unbelievers. It's a massive, massive thing in the scriptures. Now, the other, the other thing behind that though is, is love. Uh, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. Again, I go back. So I minister to both of your kids on Wednesday nights and we say things like, uh, what are you going to do about your sin? What are your options? And apart from Jesus Christ, there are no options. So here you have the Son of God who, who left glory and came and, and took on flesh and lived this life, a, a perfect life, spotless life, a sinless life. 
and and then died uh, a death he did not deserve. And then also taking all the punishment for your sin, all of it. Why did that happen? For love. So he says, while we were yet sinners, right? Not when we were good people, right? Not when we had done okay. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life gets busy, church gets busy, ministry gets busy. And, and one thing we should never lose sight of is the love of God in Jesus Christ. So that's got to be first and foremost in our minds. And I, and I think communion does, a, at least for me and, and hopefully for, for everybody else in our congregation, does a great job of saying, keep this forefront yeah. in your mind. Keep, keep this right here. Yeah, how can that not change you when you think about what Jesus Christ did for you? And communion is such a good opportunity to bring sincerity to that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're saying what it says, what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So we're remembering Jesus Christ. Well, the remembrance piece is is critical to all this because how forgetful are we? Right. I'm, I am terribly forgetful. I'm, I'm easily distracted. I'm always on to the next thing. I, I, I get worked up about this or I get worked up about that. And then I lose focus. I lose sight of things. And that's that's a besetting problem for man, right? So I, I think about um, right after the flood, but there are a generation, there are two generations removed from Noah, but how quickly they forget, mm-hmm. right? And oh, we're no different. Right. <laughs> we're no different. I mean, I am terribly forgetful. So I need every reminder I can get. Hmm to remember the Lord, to think on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what great reminders to think about, you know, going back to the Israelites and they had to be reminded in various ways of their, the faithful covenant love God had shown them, you know, because humans are so prone to forgetfulness and Mm -hmm. there's nothing uh, more dangerous for us to forget than the love of God shown us in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Tom, thank you so much for being on the podcast this afternoon. I'm personally very grateful for the ways that you minister here at the church. When I think of the way you minister to our children on Wednesday nights and just the earnestness, the clarity that you bring to God's word as you teach. I know with communion, that's also, it's been something that's been very uh, central to your ministry and a passion of yours. More inside baseball, Tom and I have lunch probably every couple of months. We go to Mi Tierra, nice Mexican place in town, and talk about communion and other things. Cool. So it's, uh, I know he thinks clearly and deeply about these matters and cares deeply about the body here and making sure that we're all remembering Jesus Christ and him crucified. So thanks again, Tom. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for your ministry. Yeah. Happy to do it. Well, and listeners, thank you for watching or listening to the Sound Words podcast. Again, you can check this out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, You can also share clips and biblical content from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. Pastor Jesse, do you have any last words for the podcast? As always, the final word goes to God in his word in 2 Timothy 1.13. Retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.